Welcome to Florida Masters Podcast. My name is John Barrett, your host. Hey, it's 2023. I'm back with a banger featuring my best friend. But before I tell you who it is and what she does and how important she is to me, we got admin tasks we have to take care of. Please follow us on all platforms at For The Masters Podcast and on YouTube at GB The Masters Podcast. Please follow us on Spotify. Please give us a review and a follow. And don't forget to hit the bell. It's 2023, which means new goals. Um, this is episode 50. Episode 50, I took a little hiatus to refocus, but I'm back. I'm back. And we're going to have episodes dropping every week, Friday at 8 a.m. Friday at 8 a.m., okay? So today I have someone that's really, really close to me. She's my best friend. And we're going to talk about her experience at the motherland. <laughs> the beautiful Jessica Royer. How you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. Hey, I'm happy to have you on the podcast. This is your first time on the podcast. Mm-hmm. We've been waiting episode 50, yeah. and it's finally here. Well, like five weeks. Hey. Ten weeks. Hey, stop. <laughs> Took a hiatus for a break. <laughs> but, um, you know, you're very beautiful. And Thank you. to commemorate this moment, we got to do some cheers. Okay, let's do it. 2023, bless, new goals, everything up. Yes. <laughs> Don't worry, sparkling cider. Yeah. You're going to let them drink. Let me turn that down for a second. Mm-hmm. So before, before we get into your story and what brought you to Madagascar, let's tell everyone a little bit about yourself, where you're from. Okay. Yeah, so I'm from Omaha, Nebraska. Um, and I, I came to DC simply after, um, applying to law school in Howard. But before I came to, to DC, I applied to the Peace Corps cause I wanted to just like travel and I didn't know how to do it. I was on a budget and I was like, mm-hmm. I want to serve and help people. And, um, yeah, I, I ended up in Madagascar. I didn't get to the first country of choice, which was Fiji actually. No. Um, and yeah, Madagascar chose me. I didn't speak any of the language, but like, that's where I ended up. For sure. For sure. And what gave you a spirit that wanted to serve? Hmm. Um, I guess part of it is, um, the work that I did in college. So, um, I was working along the lines of doing criminal justice reform. Um, and I was working in a lot of, um, youth facilities so in middle schools, in um, the after school programs, um, um, coaching volleyball, all these sorts of things. And um, I, I just kind of like learned to really love the children. And I really wanted to just like make a change in people's lives. And I, I feel like I was a good fit for it. For sure. For sure. And was Peace Corps your first option or did you explore other opportunities to travel and to help people? Um... No, Peace Corps actually wasn't my first option. I I wanted to travel abroad through college, but again, I couldn't really afford it. Um, and I also looked at programs like AmeriCorps, but Peace Corps was a, a huge opportunity because you get to travel abroad. It's a much longer program, um, and yeah, I it was it, I had never been out of the country before, so it was a really amazing opportunity to start for sure. that way. For sure, for sure, and you went to Peace Corps. And they selected you to go to the poorest country in the world at the mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. at that point in time, Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So how was that experience? Well, before we go into your experience at Madagascar, how was your experience 
like getting ready to go to Madagascar? Oh, oh my gosh. It was like so, so nerve wracking. So one of the things I'll never forget was I was applying for my um, government passport and we had to send our passport like a special route through um, a post office that went through, I think, Texas, maybe. And we had to route it a special way for it to go straight to whatever office was in, in Texas. And I accidentally sent mine to a completely different office, and I don't even know where it ended oh up. Oh, my gosh. And I couldn't find my passport. I couldn't track it. I didn't know where it went. And I was calling people, and they were like, hey, if we don't get it in time, like, you might just not get to go. Um, and I don't know, but, like, just, like, by God's grace, I don't know, like, they called me and they were like, yeah, it, it's here, it's in Texas. And I was like, wow. oh, no, I got there. Yeah. So that was one thing I was like, oh. Um, and, and also just like preparing your medical records mm -hmm. to go abroad. You have to get your typhoid shot, your yellow fever shot, your rabies shots, and they have to take dental records. So just in case something happens to you, you take pictures oh, of all your tattoos. You know, um, you have to make sure you're medically cleared and you're... Um, cleared psychologically because you're going to a really poor country that doesn't have um you know english speaking therapists readily available especially mm -hmm. if you're in a village um so like you have to do um psychiatrist tests and you have to make sure your medicine can be um accessed while in country so if you have you know so, sort of type of medicine or illness like you have to make sure that it can be um tended to for sure for yeah. sure and what about like uh, the language? Like, how did you learn language? You have to do classes. How long did that take for before you got immersed in the country? So I bought like a book of Malagasy phrases, and um, I I thought it would help, but I had no idea how to pronounce things. <laughs> and and Madagascar is actually kind of uh, different because uh, Malagasy is only spoken in Madagascar. Um, it's spoken nowhere else in the world, and. Um, so I knew that French was a base of Malagasy and there's a lot of French speakers. And so I started taking French classes about, I don't know, maybe six months before I left, mm. maybe, maybe less than that. But, um, I didn't really get a real taste of Malagasy until I landed in the country officially and he to hear it actually spoken. Um, I listened to some videos on YouTube, but, um, it's, it's not a widely spoken language. Madagascar is only... The size of texas yeah for sure so yeah yeah that's beautiful and for everyone uh, watching and listening madagascar is the same madagascar from the movie from when you were all kids yes so. but please there's no elephants and giraffes there please there's no elephants and giraffes there everyone no but that's, that's incredible <laughs> and um it speaks to your like your discipline and the fact that you want to like learn a language and you you bought a book and then you took french early that's mm -hmm. that's amazing yeah, so when, when I officially got to the country, though, um, we had about um, maybe about two weeks or so where we were just like all the volunteers were together. Um, we were living on like a Peace Corps campus and we were taking classes with um, local teachers. Um, and then about two weeks in, once we learned how to say hello, goodbye and all these um, very basic phrases, they moved us in with the host family. Mm. Um, and moving with the host family was was really tough because it was like couldn't communicate I, I couldn't do anything I just had to figure it out and yeah. you know you, you have to kind of be okay with looking stupid um and but you do learn but you do learn 
Um, one of the things that I remember too that was funny is um, um, Vuki Bay was like, uh, it means like I'm very full. Mm-hmm. Um, but you, if you accidentally mess it up with the word uh, Bay Vuka, which is like you're pregnant. Oh my god. Uh, and so the locals are like, what? What are you talking about? Mm-hmm. It was easy to mix up words. Um, but yeah, so after I moved in with my host family, it, it kind of clicked. Um, I wouldn't say I was fully fluent. Um, and then I practiced um, with our teachers and we would do um, like daily classes, Mondays through uh, Fridays. And um, yeah, we, we, we learned the Malagasy. And then once we figured out where we were going to be doing our service, we learned the dialect. Yeah. So for some people, the dialect was completely different from regular Malagasy. Mine was very similar. So that was really good. Um, and then about our, about our three-month mark is when they threw us back into our village by ourselves. And it was a free-for-all. Yeah, for sure. So, and um, I know that was intimidating and probably scary. Mm-hmm. But before we get into that, what, what's the mission of Peace Corps? Like what? Like what is Peace Corps trying to do in, the, in these uh, remote places? Yeah, so there's, there's three main goals. Um... One of them is like to bring culture from your country back to America um, and then America's country, culture to the other country. Um, and I'm forgetting the third one, but those are the two big goals. Yeah, for sure. I know it's the third one, but I can't remember right now. It's okay. It's okay. Yeah. It's so noble work. Noble yeah. work for sure. Yeah. And uh, how did you feel about the, the mission like going into Madagascar? Um, I think that it's easy to, um, you know, sign up to be a volunteer in another country and get really wrapped up in the idea of, of thinking that people who are from an impoverished country are less than, Mm -hmm. um, or that they're not as smart as you, or, um, you know, that they just need your help. And, um, it's very, very easy to be uh, like a savior to people who who don't want you to be their savior. Um, and, and you're not their savior. Yeah. Um, so, so <laughs> I, I, I kind of forgot where I was going with that, but yeah, that was, that was one of the like toughest things that like you had to kind of hurdle over at the beginning is, um, you're not entering their community to solve their problems. You're entering their community to be, um, a, a helper for mm-hmm. them. So for them to find resources for them to, to help them brainstorm and also just like get a sense of how things are outside of their community and 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 teach them things and you know talk about politics on the other side of the world and and and, you know different cultures and customs that they might not have have ever experienced or even heard of yeah it's beautiful and noble so how did you make the shift from like the savior mindset of hey i'm an american i'm coming here with my education and like trying to come in and like fix their country and say like how did you get out of that mindset yeah um i mean one of the things that like a lot of volunteers do, I was an English teacher. Um, and one of the very things that a lot of teachers assume is when they go into their community is that they're going to want to have, um, English clubs. Mm. Um, and so that was one of the first things I did. Um, I created a middle school, high school, uh, elementary and an adult club. And it turned out that, um, people didn't really want that. Um, the, the adults stopped showing up, the kids stopped showing up in my, my middle school, um, kids, they, they, they got too much of it. I was already their teacher in the regular classroom. They didn't want to show up on the weekends. Yeah. Um, and the high school one kind of stuck. That was only once a week, but I realized that they, they didn't want to just learn English. Um, and a lot of the kids, 
Um, my, my classes, for sure, um, I was teaching 6th and 7th graders. The 6th graders, it was their very first year of English, and they had been going several years in French. So it was like they didn't need, uh, they didn't need a third and fourth language. They were already speaking Malagasy, their dialect, French, and now English. So yeah, it was like... It was a lot. It was a lot. Um, one of the things that I, I learned that while I was there was that I had to try to help meet their basic needs before I start trying to teach them English. Mm. Um, so one of the requests that came in um, to me was trying to make sure that we could route the water from the top of the mountain to come down to the, the base of the mountain. Yeah. Um, because you need water. You need it to cook. You need to clean, wash your clothes. You need it to drink. It, it, it's it's a basic necessity. And and I was as I was working at the school, I noticed that the kids weren't even washing, being able to wash their hands. So that was that was where I started was was starting to teach about basic hygiene. Yeah. Um, and um, one of the things that I did was bring a bucket into my classroom and bought soap. And every single time they would use the restroom, it was like um, they had to come back in and wash their hands. Um, and then we talked a lot about how to build some sort of piping system to bring the water down faster, mm -hmm. especially when it hadn't rained um, and it was hot, um, how to keep water at the at the base of the mountain and run it back down the mountain so mm -hmm. um, that they could meet a very basic need. Yeah, real need, real need. And I, I was thinking, and I, and I, I agree with that. Like, hey, like these people, like we're coming in here with like our beliefs and the things that we think people need, but in reality they need something else. And the president of Rwanda, there was an LGBTQ plus like uh, riot in his country, mm -hmm. and um, he shut it down with like you know military, mm -hmm. um, military power, and he said that yeah we're not doing this we have other things to worry about, meaning that hey we have other people other like basic needs to worry about as opposed to you know like LGBTQ plus civil rights mm -hmm. is something I think you deal with when you put your GDP becomes a little closer to what we do here in America. Yeah, so and one thing that's coming up right now in my head is um, there was a, a there was a family of, of little girls that would come to my English um, club initially um, and they would come to my yard and they would play and come say hi um, and some of the girls stopped showing up after a while um, and I noticed that one of the girls was limping around like on the on the road um, it, she had an infection in her foot and she couldn't mm. walk. Um, so therefore she, English was not the first thing on her mind. Yeah, for sure. Her sister was carrying her around and they had, you know, they had to do what they could. Um, so I, <laughs> I had them come over to my house and, um, I cleaned up her foot with my first aid kit and gave her socks to wear because I didn't have shoes for her. Um, and after that, it was like, Hey, like, I, I'm gonna go to the doctor and make make sure her foot doesn't fall off. Yeah, <laughs> because because we're, she's walking on a dirt road and her foot was so sliced she was losing like the end of her heel, and she had an infection that was about the size of a golf ball of mm. like pus filled in the top of her foot. And so, um, being in such a small community, we had to wait for the doctors to come to us. So we had um, a little local um, like clinic. Um, but there wasn't always doctors in it. Mm. Um, the person who was usually on duty was also the janitor. Um, she didn't have a medical license. She didn't have a nursing license. That She was just someone they had hired. Mm. Um, so we waited until the market day, which was on Mondays. So 
we had to wait a couple of days to come back around and then the doctors would come into town. Um, but, um, I, so I went over to the clinic to try to get the doctor. Um, and you know, I waited in line for almost I, three or four hours. Um, because not only is the, the doctors only comes up every so often, there's tons of newborns in the area that need, need their shots. Um, be, because you have things like rabies <laughs> and yeah. dirty water. Um, yeah. and, um, you know, the saddest thing was knowing that like this girl could possibly lose her foot to an infection because her, her family couldn't afford the money. Um, so I waited in line on market day and the medicine that she needed was less than a dollar. Um, but her family, I, I went to her family's house and I said, Hey, your, your daughter's going <laughs> to lose her foot if you don't do something about this. Um, but they couldn't, they couldn't afford, afford it. it. Um, and so you, you experience things like that where it, it's like, of course they're not thinking about learning English. You have kids who are, are so poor, they, they can't even attend school uh, because they have to work in the farms or, you no. know, but there's also, but there's also, um, a huge wealth gap. Um, you have people who are in, were in my community who had big, big screen TVs and big stereos and, uh, you know, they they had servants in their house and then you had children walking alongside the road asking for food. Wow. So. Wow. So, so it's like a huge culture shock, you know, coming to that country. And, um, do you feel like you left the same? Oh no, <laughs> absolutely not. Um, I felt like a little bit closer to, um, I guess myself in, in a way because, you know, like you feel like you're you're a part of a part of like a bigger culture. Um, and for me, like growing up in in a mostly white state and being in a country for almost a year where everyone looked like me, everyone had the same skin tone as me, and I didn't have to question who I was and mm. my safety. And you know, people are going to use racial slurs against me. Um, it, it brought me actually closer to, to my, myself and my being and made me want to reach out to my family members um, and see where I came from. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Yeah. yeah. And that's beautiful. That's noble. And you felt like you grew while you were there. Oh, a lot. Yeah. A lot. And so when you came back to the States, how was that? Like, how was it? How was it shock again? <laughs> when I came back to the States, one of the first things I saw was some girl with blue hair and tattoos. And I was like, oh, my gosh. As gay, because the women in my community, it would be 95 degrees outside, and they'd have hats on their heads and long skirts and mm -hmm. socks, and, and they wouldn't show their arms. You know, people didn't wear crop tops mm -hmm. in the village that I was in. I mean, you know, communities that were on the beach, and they were really, really hot, and by the water, you'd see um, women wearing what was called a lamba, and it's like um, the... the um, fabric that you tie around here mm -hmm. um and you know they would have their shoulders out but in my community it was it was um very very conservative um you know even having a nose ring was something that i felt uncomfortable about um because some of the some of the kids were like oh my gosh you know mm -hmm. um so yeah when i came back and i i saw that i was like what is happening mm -hmm. um the other thing is my body did not respond well to all of the the toxins and preservatives and crap that entered my bloodstream again. Um, you know, I was eating very natural from farmers in my community, and um, <laughs> and when I came back, it, everything's pumped up with sodium and all this stuff, and 
my skin was not not having it. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for yeah. Sure. No, that's that's an amazing experience, and that experience changed you for the rest of your life. You would say. Mm-hmm. I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, and you're happy you did it. Yeah, and it was my first time being independent. I yeah. lived completely alone, and. And I really couldn't rely on a lot of people at first because I didn't speak the language very well. And I couldn't call my family because I didn't have service sometimes. And, you know, we're 10 hours apart or whatever the time difference is. Um, So it really was an opportunity for me to, like, really just, like, grow. I started started journaling and and meditating. And um, I started really just, like, slowing down and taking care of my hair and, yeah. you know, cooking good meals and, and finding time to just like go out and, you know, meet with new people. No, oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Yeah. And so there's a lot of people who listen to this podcast are really big on growth and self-development. Mm-hmm. So, but they're scared to do something like you did, Jessica. Mm-hmm. They're scared to immerse themselves in a whole other country. So yeah, it's scary. Look, what got you the courage up to do, like do that? And like, how can they? Hmm. Well, um, I guess the the thing that I would say is that like the scariest things are like sometimes the best things. So and you never you never get to try anything new if you're just like walking around scared and you'll never experience the beauty of life if if you're never um, brave enough to take the jump. Yeah. Yeah. Um. And and, and it is and it's a gamble. Um. You know. I, you know. It's. I had no idea what to expect. Yeah, for sure. Um, it's not. It's not like I went to Jamaica and I could go look at Instagram and, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and there's a lot of different, um, you know, misconceptions about Madagascar. Obviously, based on the movie, so yeah. it's like, yeah, I didn't know what to expect, but like, you just kind of have to take the take the jump. Awesome, and that sounded like it was an amazing experience. Um, so what are you doing now? <laughs> yeah. So, like I said, I'm in DC. Um, I'm just about to finish my last year of law school and graduate in May. And I'm I'm a Howard. So, and I'm hope I'm hoping that um, I'll be working with um, a nonprofit or maybe DC Justice Live. Wink, wink. Um, and I, I'm really looking to do um, policy in prison and criminal justice reform. Um, going into this next chapter of my life. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So maybe uh, Meek Mill and uh, Mr. Rubin will pick up your project. They do, a, <laughs> they do a lot of prison reform. Oh, okay. And Kim Kardashian, too? No, no, no. She doesn't do, she doesn't do prison reform. Good coffee. Oh. It's beautiful. And like, what makes you want to do that? Hmm. Well, um, I guess I can keep a, a long story short, but... Um, when I was talking earlier about working with youth, one of the projects that I was working on was um, recording youth interactions with police. And I was working with youth in the um, Douglas County Youth Facility, um, incarcerated youth who, um, you know, had wide ranges of criminal offenses um, and talking about how their interactions with police um, uh, being black males um, work and um, asking them about how they think that um, police could do a better job and um, limit interactions with black youth in order to um, eventually um, reduce the population of black males that are entering the carceral system. Now that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And like, what made you want to pursue that instead of going to like corporate transactional law, making tons of money? Instead, you want to do some more noble work. 
and oh. it is noble work. Yeah, I mean, I'm law school for me is not like about the money. Like, I I had to stick to what my heart and my gut was telling me, and and do something that I loved and something that I found that I find can have a positive impact on people rather than chasing after the money because um, you know God's always going to provide for me. It's always it, it, the money will be there, so um, there's no need to, to chase it when I could have a very fulfilling life with, without having to, um, you know, do 90 hours a week and yeah. never spend time with my children and my family and take care of the home that I'm working towards. So um, those are things that are, I value more in life than, yeah. than, than money. Yeah, and so, I mean, I think that is easier said than done for a lot of people, but what, what gave you that, like, see that, hey, I want to help people, I want to do this? Um, I mean, it's, it's been on my heart for a really long time. And, um, you know, I, I'm the type of person where if I don't have an interest in something, I can't, I can't fully commit to it. Um, and you know, I, I can't even, I couldn't even imagine myself trying to work a job that I don't love. Yeah. Um, or I don't have a passion for. Yeah. Um, and, and there, I see no point in trying to burn myself out for, um, making money for someone else <laughs> yeah, for sure. you know i see no point in that especially if i'm if i'm not making the impact that i want to make um and yeah and and i i see myself doing that forever in and everything that i do i don't want to um chase after things for the wrong reasons yeah that's beautiful that's beautiful yeah. and i appreciate you for jumping on the podcast Mm-hmm. You know, so people can find you at Jessa Royer on LinkedIn and Instagram. Mm-hmm. Um, and you recently had a special project, and you recently left the country to go do some oh, really cool things. Yeah, in a country called Geneva. Yeah, the yeah. country's called Switzerland. Switzerland, Geneva. Geneva, Switzerland. Geneva, Switzerland. <laughs> yeah. So, um, in the beginning of December, um, I was working on a project with the the UN through um, my school. My professor was um, recently um, appointed to a director position for the United, United Nations Permanent Forum for People of African Descent. Um, it's a really long name, but basically we, uh, as a class, we individually got to pick cities all over the United States. And um, I chose Omaha, Nebraska, from where I'm from. And I was supposed to be talking about how to um, better reach the goals for um, black communities in Omaha and some of the major issues that um, black individuals are facing um, back in Omaha. And so when I presented at the UN in December, I talked a lot about um, climate issues um, and specifically air quality issues, um, land quality issues, um, water quality issues. Um, One of the biggest things that I found that um, many black individuals were facing in Omaha is high rates of asthma due to the coal burning plant that Mm. has been in their community since the 1950s. Um, And it's interesting because the city was supposed to um, remove the coal burning plant and they've had removed, um, I think at least two of them. Um, But the third one that they, they left was, I believe intentionally left in the black community. Um, And they've extended the um, term of the coal burning for another three years um, with no end date in Mm. sight. Um, and, and, you know, I just, I, I find it interesting that um, they would continue to burn coal in a community um, that's highly vulnerable to z- disease, high, has high rates of poverty, um, and with no regard for their health. 
um, and has no urgency to uh, create a climate action plan to re uh, reduce the uh, negative uh, effects of the air that are entering these uh, black individuals. Al Gore was right. I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, anyways. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, the other thing, too, that um, that is directly affecting the very same community and uh, almost uh, wholly within the Florence area of Omaha is um, it, it's a super fun lead site. So the lead is contaminated or I'm sorry, the soil is contaminated with lead. Um, and, you know, people can die from lead poisoning. Like it's it's, it's extremely um harmful especially to children of young ages um it can affect their brain development um and and, and this is all within the same area um you also have um a, a sewage plant <laughs> right off the river um that is um not fully filtering um out the chemicals that are entering the water you have high levels of arson and um um uh, e coli yeah that's entering the water and in potentially entering the bodies of, uh, of black people in Omaha and, and all residents of Omaha. Um, and, you know, these are this is the same t population of people who, you know, if you're impoverished and your first thought isn't, I'm going to go buy a water filter, it's yeah. going to make sure my family eats. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, and so, I, and I finally find it extremely disappointing um, having been from Omaha and, you know, but also very rewarding that, like, people outside of Nebraska can learn about these issues and maybe take some action, hopefully, Yeah. you sure. know? Um, so yeah, that I, was the point. That's a beautiful like opportunity that yeah. you have, you know, especially at a young age. And so what can people do in their own communities? Like, is it congressional letters? Like, what can they do to like impact now? Yeah, I mean, I think that really change starts on a very local level. Um, so for me, I wouldn't start with your, your congressman. I wouldn't start with your, your senators. I would start with your city council, mm -hmm. start with your mayor, um, you know, um, your, your, any sort of boards, your utilities boards, your, <laughs> whoever, the board of education, um, the, the you know, the, there's all these, the, your county clerk, <laughs> mm -hmm. these, all these people that are running your local governments and dictating where funds go and making major decisions for local residents, those are the people that you need to be starting with. Um, and then you build it from there. Incredible. Uh, yeah. You build it from there. That's amazing. And um, I want to give you your flowers. Where's your flowers at? I don't have any right now. <laughs> I want to give you your, no. your flowers no, I know. while you're here because it matters. It mm -hmm. matters that you're doing this noble work and you're being a champion for the marginalized. Yes, thank you. And I know me and Trey, the producer, appreciates it. <laughs> Shout out. Shout out to Trey, but we appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Gosh. But, you know, and thank you for joining for the Masses Podcast. Yes, it's a pleasure. A pleasure.